Hello, Three Rivers Church. Good morning. My name is Jennifer Jolly, and I'm the wife of Mitch Jolly, the teaching pastor here at Three Rivers. And I know this comes as a surprise to most of you to have me up here today instead of Mitch. So, surprise. (laughs) Trust me, no one is more surprised that I'm up here than me, myself. Um, Never in our 15 years as a church have we had a role reversal of this sort. So, I know that this kind of comes as a point of curiosity. Um, So know that I am not necessarily nervous to come and speak to you today. In fact, I'm kind of excited to bring um, this point of discovery for me to our women. Um, But I am nervous about how you interpret the fact that I am speaking to you and how you'll interpret my words to you today. So just so that you are all on the same page with me, there are a few things for us to know. I'm not an elder at Three Rivers Church, and nor is this an effort to make me one. I was simply... (laughs) I was simply invited to come speak with you today in honor of Mother's Day, and I accepted the invitation. So with it being Mother's Day, I'm thankful for the work of a lady named Anna Jarvis from 1908 to 1910 to try to establish a day in our culture to honor mothers and the contribution of mothers to society. And since 1911, that was a new fact for me, since 1911, American culture has recognized Mother's Day. As a mother myself, and to all of you mothers out there, I commend you and all that you do to care for and nurture your family. And so as a mother, I am thankful for a day to honor the role that we play. Um, I'm also thankful that Mother's Day falls in mid-May. For those of us still mothering school-aged children, we need this day (laughs) in the middle of May to serve as an impetus to finish the month of May. If not, we would quit the month of May which is also not jokingly, very much in serious, called the month of mayhem. So from a position of thanksgiving for mothers and in awe and respect of the miracle of being a mother, I still recognize that Mother's Day is tender and it's difficult for many of us. For those of us who've lost a mother and wish that we had a mother on Mother's Day and every day. For those of us whose mother was not a mother, not in the way we know a mother should be, and are caught between trying to honor the person or the role while feeling extremely hurt and abandoned by her. For those of us who are caught in the web of juggling relationships with many mother and mother figures, stepmothers, foster mothers, grandmothers, ex-grandmothers or ex-mothers, for those who yearn and ache to be a mother and who are weary of fighting against bitterness and hurt from unfulfilled expectations and shattered dreams, Mother's Day is laden. And it prompted me to think about the word mother. And my mind, of course, went straight to birthing and nurturing. And then I thought, but maybe there's, I think there's a lot more. So I went to Noah Webster's 1828 English Dictionary. Have y'all used that before? It's really a great resource to get back to the origin of how English words were codified or codified in the English language in America. And Webster has multiple definitions under the word mother. He says, first and foremost, it's a female parent who has born a child, which is how most of us think of it. But then there's another definition. It says, that which has produced anything. So mother is that which has produced anything. Third definition for mother is that which has preceded another in time or the oldest or chief of something, kind of like a mother church or mothership, right? A fourth is a name given to a woman who exercises care and tenderness toward another. And you see that sometimes in other cultures. British culture will call older women mother, even if it's a stranger. Um, So mother or mom, okay? Then the last definition 
is the sticky slime produced in the process of making vinegar. <laughs> so then there's that too, right? <laughs> so from Webster, we see the concept of mother encompassing much more than just the birth process or raising children, although that is not to be downplayed. But most women I know engage in processes that fall under Webster's definition of mother. Most women I know produce something. They work. They are industrious. Women produce results. Yep. Most women and girls I know are by nature nurturing toward others, expressing care and tenderness toward other people in their sphere, whether it's college girls caring for their downtrodden neighbor in their residence hall, to single women teachers who care for and nurture the children in their classroom every day, to the front desk receptionist who arranges a group meal for someone's birthday, to the childless widow who runs the sewing circle that makes scarves and gloves for the homeless. The essence of motherhood is correlated with the essence of womanhood. And when pondering the essence of womanhood and the essence of motherhood, of course, Proverbs 31 comes to mind. So at the risk of being cliche, we're going to dig into that passage a bit today, but I hope that you're going to walk away with some fresh and perspective about the passage, because I know when I mentioned Proverbs 31, and you can go ahead and turn to that, some of you perked up, okay, let's talk about it, and then some of you probably shriveled up a little bit inside. Um, because Proverbs 31 is a very often used, but sometimes misused passage. Our American Christian context and most of the teachings that I have seen and read or heard have turned this passage into a measuring stick for Christian women, both young and old, with which we compare ourselves to try to see if we measure up to our perception of righteousness. And so as a result, the Proverbs 31 woman is boiled down usually to a couple of things, her role or her station in life, which is most always seen as being a wife and a mother, or her fulfillment of the duties and tasks that are listed in all of the verses in Proverbs 31. But there are some errors in only seeing it in that way. Because what do we do when our station in life, the story that the Lord is writing for us, doesn't match up? What do we do when our school-aged child doesn't come home from elementary school one day because she unexpectedly died of the heart condition everyone thought was under control? You started the day as a mother, and you ended it not being one. Does that mean you are no longer a Proverbs 31 woman? What does it mean when our purity, our virtue, so long guarded is violently ripped from us in a criminal act? Does it mean that you'll no, not, never be able to be a Proverbs 31 woman? What does it mean when we have followed the Lord and waited patiently for years, but are still not a wife and mother? Does that mean you're not a Proverbs 31 woman? What do we do when our husband unexpectedly dies 13 days before Christmas, leaving us to raise teenagers alone? We are no longer a wife. Are we no longer a Proverbs 31 woman? Our stations, our roles change sometimes very unexpectedly. What do we do when our duties and tasks ebb and flow or our ability to fulfill them changes? How are we to think of ourselves when we are bedridden with cancer and cannot do the functional tasks of daily care for our kids? Does that mean we're not Proverbs 31? How are we to see ourselves when our husband is in the final stages of Alzheimer's living in assisted care and doesn't even realize he is a husband anymore? We are still a wife, but in duties and tasks, so much, not so much anymore. Does that mean that we're not Proverbs 31? Ladies, we need to guard against viewing Proverbs 31 just through the lens of station and role, duties and tasks. Other cultures see um, this very clearly. The Jewish culture sees this. They see this passage of Proverbs 31 
in a completely different way. They see it as a celebration of themselves and of the woman in their lives. And we can learn from them. And that's what I hope we're going to do today. So with Proverbs 31, as we look at it, we need to make sure we're reading it in the whole context because most of the time when we hear this passage, which verses are we always looking at? 10 through 31, right? We skip over 1 through 9, so we're not going to do that today. So verses 1 through 9, verse 1 tells us right off the bat that this is the words of King Lemuel, an oracle or message that his mother has taught him. So first and foremost here, we need to stop and consider the audience, the intended audience of this passage. The origin of the words of Proverbs 31 are coming from King Lemuel's mother. As a mother of a king, she would be considered a queen mother, right? So the intended audience is actually her son, Lemuel, who is a man. The intended audience, the initial intended audience of this passage is man, is men, okay? Let that sink in just a little bit, ladies, because oh, how often, how repetitiously in our culture do we women take Proverbs 31 and we read into it and we try to see how we measure up and we roll up its message into nice little hand grenades that we lob over the fence of the mommy wars at each other in order to seek our own affirmation. To be godly is to stay at home versus being a working mom. To be godly is to educate your kids a certain way. To be godly is to be married by now. To be godly is to have 2.5 kids, right? One versus nine is a message of a mother. I kind of imagine it like Queen Elizabeth talking to Harry. (laughs) (laughs) A queen mom talking to her son who is a king, okay? And so what she says is this. Let's look at this. In verse two, what are you doing, my son? What are you doing, son of my womb? What are you doing, son of my vows? Do not give your strength of women, give your strength to women, your ways to those who will destroy kings. It is not for kings, O Lemuel. It is not for kings to drink wine or for rulers to take strong drink, lest they drink and forget what has been decreed and pervert the rights of all the afflicted. Give strong drink to the one who is perishing and wine to those in bitter distress and let them drink and forget their poverty and remember their misery no more. Open your mouth for the mute, for the rights of all who are destitute. Open your mouth, judge righteously, defend the rights of the poor and needy. So what she's saying is here, this is, she is sitting him down and giving him a talking to. And she is saying in verse 2, what are you doing, my son? Now the repetition of the three questions, what are you doing? What are you doing? What are you doing? In Jewish literature, they didn't have superlatives and a way to emphasize. So they did that by repetition. So the repetition of the three questions is her being emphatic. So as a side note, ladies, when we're nagging, we're just emphasizing, right? It, I, am, I am emphasizing that those socks need to get up off the floor and those dishes need to go to the sink by my repetition, right? So... She's repeating that for emphasis, but also if you look, she's calling attention to created order. Son of, son, my son, the son I am raising, the son of my womb, of of my birth, and then um, the son of my vows, the son of my marriage. So that she's calling attention to created order um, in one way, her authority there with him, um, and then she's emphasizing something important. What are you doing, son? Do not give your strength to women. And notice that's plural. Do not give your strength to all of these women because they will seek to destroy you as king. 
And then she's going down and she's saying, it's not for kings. It's not for you. You are not in the position to party, is basically what she's saying. Lest people forget what you have decreed, lest you forget what you have decreed. And what that brought to my mind when I was reading that was really the example we have in um, Esther when, um, that tells us a little bit about kingly protocol. When the king issued the decree to destroy the Jews, he couldn't then go back and change that once he realized um, that Esther was a part of the Jews and she had pleaded for their lives. He, couldn't, he didn't have the power to go back and change what had been decreed. He had to make another decree that counteracted the first one. Um, and so basically we see from that how important the king's words were. And so she's saying, you're in a position where you have to be sober-minded um, lest your decrees hinder your subjects. Um, and then she's imploring him also to, um, to use his speech, to use his position for the down child and the poor and the needy. So for one through nine is her giving him a talking to, okay? And then 10 through 31, which we normally focus on, is a continuation of that talking to in a way because she's contrasting the women, do not give your strength to women who are going to seek to destroy kings. Instead, look for this, and this is verse 10 through 31. And verse 10 through 31, she has structured as an acrostic. It's an acrostic poem. So what do we know for, about acrostics? Acrostics, she started each passage with a different letter of the Jewish alphabet. Each passage that tells something about a virtuous woman is a different letter of the Jewish alphabet. Every good Jewish boy knew the Hebrew alphabet. So she created a clever way for him to consider and remember aspects of what to look for in a woman. Acrostics, we know a few things about them. They're clever. They're cute. You're probably going to get one this week sometimes, Mom, <laughs> with your name and all the attributes about you, right? We've, we've seen acrostics. They're clever. They're not all the time thorough or exact. Sometimes the adjectives are a bit of a stretch to match a letter. But acrostics, we need to read this acrostic in a certain way. We need to see it as descriptive and not prescriptive. And yet all of our growing up, ladies, I think we've been taught to see this as prescriptive, that we need to go out and we need to make red clothes or we need to buy a field or whatever that means to look godly and to be virtuous and to be righteous. And we need to be reading this as descriptive. Um, John Piper actually says um, it's a string of pearls pearls of wisdom, nuggets, um, right? And string of pearls, in my opinion, is better than a measuring stick any day, right? So to look at this as descriptive and not prescriptive, it describes 22 or so aspects of a virtuous woman because there are 22 letters in the Hebrew alphabet. So in one way, we could also recognize that it's not exhaustive because I don't know about you, but I think if I had to write it all down, I would need more than 22 aspects to adequately describe what's necessary for modern day womanhood. The queen mother thought of aspects of womanhood that she wanted her son to seek, all of which started with an aleph, a bet, a gimel, a dalit, a yamad, a yod, or a zion. Okay, letters in the Hebrew alphabet. There could have been more, and these are the ones in her context. So we need to look and pull wisdom and apply it as we can in our modern context too. We can read through this list and find a list of 22 plus aspects. We find noble things for us to ascribe to and set before us as a goal, and we should do that. We see trustworthiness. We see industry. We see proactivity and thoughtfulness, forward thinking, planning, sorry, planning, resource procurement and management, kindness, teaching, and a lot, a lot, lot more. But our goal today is not to necessarily unpack all the things 
the laundry list necessarily in um, those verses because that has been done for us most of our lives. And those aspects are also pretty clearly laid out. We just have to remember to interpret them as descriptive, not prescriptive or exhaustive, and to set them up as worthy characteristics to try to aspire to in our modern context. But for our time together here looking at these verses, I wanted us to focus on some other aspects. I wanted us to focus on the bookends of this passage. So verses 10 and then 30 and 31. So let's look at verse 10. This, in most of our Bibles, is usually translated, an excellent wife who can find. Right? Is that what most of y'all have? An excellent wife who can find. That translation has set this passage up on the T and caused many people to hit it in certain directions. Right? Many women, young women not of marrying age, many single women, many widows, who have read that, and lamented that this passage is not for them and that they cannot ascribe to it and that it won't apply to them unless their station matches up with being an excellent wife. But that isn't true. In the Hebrew, it is translated Ishahayel, woman of valor. Woman of valor. All right, girls, we can all get behind that, can't we? So let's look at that a little bit more. Woman of valor. Valor indicates strength of mind, courageousness, and warrior-like. Warrior is in the definition, okay? Warrior-like. Jewish culture gets this. They see this passage as the Ishahayel, the woman of valor. They see it as a celebration, a lauding, and applauding of godly womanhood, and how different that is than how we see it usually in American Christian context as a measuring stick or a grenade. They see the woman of valor as strong and capable and of embracing what comes her way. And they focus usually on the bookends, verses 10, and then 30 and 30 woman um, as the woman of valor. So we're going to look at those verses a little bit more in depth. Verse 10, I want y'all to read it in your minds as a woman of valor who can find she is far more precious than jewels. So let's pause for a second there and consider that question. And we're going to... approach three different groups here. So, a woman of valor who can find, she is far more precious than jewels. For young men, a woman of valor who can find. A more modern way of asking that question is, who can find a woman of valor? And for young men in today's Christian culture, I would have to say, no one if you aren't looking. There's a troubling trend that some of us are seeing in modern young Christianity for the generation Ys, the millennials, and this isn't millennial knocking, okay? Generation X, which is my generation, and then potentially Generation Z, which is our current youth, um, that young men are not necessarily leading the charge in finding a wife. There are exceptions among you, I know, I know. This is not a universal statement. This is not a blanket statement. But generally, there's an interesting and an alarming trend in that. And so for that, we need to talk to you young men. Unless there is a direct and clear call of singleness on your life, the implicit instructions throughout Scripture is that you are to marry and raise a family either through birth or through caring for orphans. I don't think... Enough of us older folk have expressed clearly enough that the expectation is that you would take a wife. So let me say it here for you young men. Take a wife. Wrap your mind around the fact that you should take a wife. It should be a goal on your list of goals, like getting a job. Not just something that you know will just happen. It just doesn't happen. You're going to have to be purposeful with that and plan that and be thoughtful and seeking. It boggles my mind what we're kind of seeing in in young Christian um, 
culture, and let's take the passion movement as an example, not knocking the passion movement, but literally thousands of Christians in the same general age range who take their faith seriously enough to travel almost two hours across the state for a conference or a service, and the young men are like, I just haven't found anyone yet. I'm like, young man, Lemuel, you're in Phillips Arena. Look around you. Can I help you? Choose one. Love. Love your, choose your love and love your choice, as Dr. Dale Tackett once said. Choose your love and love your choice. You can do that, okay? So verse 30 tells us of the Proverbs 31, though, as you're looking, it says, look not for just beauty and charm. Look for a woman of valor that fears the Lord first and foremost. Look for a woman who is at least trying to be a woman of valor. That's going to be a process that takes us our whole life, ladies, um, with sanctification and being a woman of valor through the life changes and cycles of all the things. Um, I once witnessed a very memorable moment of instruction in this regard. It was very much like the Queen Mom talking to King Lemuel, um, except it was Ronnie Hines talking to Josh. (laughs) And I asked permission to share this story, and they gave me permission. We were all at youth camp, and our group had decided to do the canoeing um, recreation. And Josh was in one canoe, and Ronnie was in one canoe, and I'm in one canoe. And you know how when you do this, it's, it's like on a big regatta and a big party, and you're knocking the boats against each other. And, but you're close enough to talk boat to boat. And the goal of this endeavor is to get all these kids in these canoes and canoe across Nantahala Lake, go to the island, swing on the rope swing, swim in the water, have a grand time, get back in the boats and canoe back to Nantahala Lake to get on the buses, right? So there's a goal. Forward movement is required. It's relaxing and it's fun, but there's work involved, right? There was a poor chap there from another church in a canoe, with his girlfriend or his girlfriend wannabe, we're not exactly sure, but that poor dude paddled that whole canoe and that girl across Nantahala Lake by himself there and back the whole time. She did nothing. She did not touch that paddle one bit. She should have had a parasol in her hand. (laughs) I mean... At one point on the return, Ronnie paddled his canoe closer to Josh and said, See that, Josh? That's the kind of girl you don't want. And I'm like, yes and amen, Ronnie Hines. That's right. Okay. So, guys, you don't want a pretty, pretty princess who will crumble when faced with having to work alongside you or when suffering comes your way. You want a woman of valor, strong and courageous, willing to help you and other, um, the other people around you in, in your lives. Um, there's a friend of mine who raised daughters with the notion of being a pioneer woman. So you want a woman who's like Ma Ingalls, who's going to be out there beating down the prairie fire so it doesn't burn down the barn. You want a woman beside you that will help with that. You, if you're going to go for a princess at all, make it be a warrior princess like Lucy or Susan and Narnia, who at least isn't afraid to go on the battlefield and use the gifts that she's been given her. So mamas, don't raise your little princesses to be pretty, pretty princesses. And guys, you don't usually want that. Let's pause for another aside when you're looking at verse 10. A woman of valor who can find she is worth more than jewels. She's more precious than jewels. So for the married man looking at that question, a woman of valor who can find, and an answer to that would be no one if you've stopped seeing. No one if you've stopped looking at her. Some of you have been walking faithfully beside a woman of valor for 3, 13, 23 
43 years, and she's been striving and working daily at the Proverbs 31 tasks. And while there are definite times of honor, praise, and assistance, like Mother's Day, thank you, and her birthday, thank you, there are also times when she and what she does for you is probably taken for granted by you and the kids. That woman of valor beside you is far more precious than jewels or growing your 401k and is to be praised in the gates and praised and thanked and assisted by you and kids with happy hearts and helpful hands. <laughs> right? It's one thing to help. It's another to do that huffing and puffing and rolling your eyes, kiddos. Right? So Jewish culture gets this. They literally sing the Ishat Hayel, this passage in song over their women, wives, sisters, daughters, grandmothers, every week during Shabbat and during special occasions. So let's pause for another aside as we consider verse 10. A woman of valor who can find. And so women, we need to ask ourselves this. We need to recognize this in each other. Jewish culture sings and declares this over their women all of the time, men to women, and even women to women to each other. Women will do, often declare hayel, um, to laud and applaud the things each other are doing, kind of like a high five or you go girl. So you got your first job, right? hayel. You advocated for your child at school. hayel. You confronted your coworker. hayel. Right? You potty trained your last kid. hayel. You pulled up the carpet in the den. Right? We take this celebratory, if we take this celebratory and appreciative approach to all of the women of valor around us, if we see that as long as we are striving to be a woman of valor who fears the Lord, we guard against the backbiting and the mommy wars because we will stop seeking our affirmation from our station or our role and how Pinterest worthy our duties and tasks are fulfilled. So, that was verse 10 of the bookend. Verse 30 through 31. Let's look at that. Charm is deceitful and beauty is vain, but a woman who fears the Lord is to be praised. Give her of the fruit of her hands and let her works praise her in the gates. This verse is the thesis of the passage. The point is that the woman of valor fears the Lord. This is contrasted with the women who destroy the ways of kings that the queen mother refers to and warns against in verse 3. The woman of valor is such because of the redeeming of work of Christ in her life, and because her mind is set on following his lead, her heart is set on loving him and others, and her hands are set in working out her faith with service, care, and nurture to those in her sphere of family, friends, and influence. Ladies, we don't have to be married or raising kids to do this. This applies to all of us. And it's not the laundry list of duties and tasks that is the righteous or virtuous woman or the woman of valor. It is the fact that she fears the Lord. And follows him. We can learn from the Jewish perspective and practice of Proverbs 31. So we learn to focus on this major point instead of looking through all the list of things, trying to see if we can do those things or have done those things or will do those things. Learn to focus on this major point of verse 30. A woman who fears the Lord is to be praised. So for men, look for a woman who fears the Lord. Be purposeful and proactive in regularly praising her. It will fill her soul and motivate her to keep going. For women, strive to be a woman who fears the Lord. The challenge is to be a Mary, to seek the Lord, his word, and time with him in a world that will always require and demand that we be a Martha. And that's, that's my Achilles heel, girls. I'm a Martha to a fault. The point is to find or strive to be a woman of valor who fears and follows the Lord and lives out our faith and trust in him daily. Regardless, of the station in life, season of life, roles, 
duties and tasks which can all ebb and flow and change. There are examples of women of valor all through scripture. Miriam, she did as she was told by her mother. Younger girls, that's where you can start doing what you're told by your mother and father. She watched over her brother Moses floating in the river and had presence of mind to respond to the princess of Egypt and summon her own mother to be a wet nurse. Isha Hayel. Ruth, she was widowed, penniless, homeless, bound to her mother-in-law by honor instead of returning home to parents. And she did what was necessary to glean food scraps from the wheat fields in order to provide sustenance. Isha Hayel. Esther, who literally sacrificed herself at the altar of kingly protocol to petition the lives of her people before King Xerxes, Isha Hayel. Mary, the mother of Jesus, who after Jesus' conception and birth, lived in the rest of her life in probable ridicule, doubt, and scorn as to Jesus' beginnings, as indicated by times in Scripture when Jesus was referred to as a son of Mary. Because in Hebrew culture, he would have been son of Joseph, Ben Joseph, Jesus Ben Joseph. But he, to be called son of Mary was a slang and vulgar way of calling someone fatherless. We have equal slang and vulgar ways that we refer to people who are fatherless. So you can make that kind of correlation there. That's what they were actually saying. Yishachayel, Mary. Lydia, who was a seller of purple, a businesswoman, a hostess for the church in Philippi. She hosted church, y'all. And she gets mentioned for that, Isha Chayel. It is no little thing to host radical life groups, ladies. So Isha Chayel to you, right? Lois and Eunice, grandmother and mother of Timothy, who Paul commends for their sincere faith. Isha Chayel. Ladies, our goal is to be a woman of valor by loving, fearing, obeying, and following the Lord in whatever context he has us in. Regardless of our station, regardless of our role, regardless of a role we're waiting on, regardless of how life changes things, regardless of our duties, be a woman of valor as a middle school girl or high school girl obeying your parents in relationship and dating. Be a woman of valor in college as you learn and ready yourself to influence the domain of society, whether that's at home alone or home and the world of work. Be a woman of valor in your singleness, realizing your life is whole and complete as you work in your domain and bring nurture and care to those around you, regardless if the men your age ever decide to actually look and find you. I'm going to say that one again. Be a woman of valor in your singleness, realizing your life is whole and complete as you work in your domain and bring nurture and care to those around you, regardless if the men your age ever decide to look and actually find you. Be a woman of valor as you continue year after year to yearn for children and mourn children whose life ended before their birth. Be a woman as you care for a husband, a household, and wear shirts with spit up on it and change babies in the back of the car. Be a woman of valor as you help teens navigate young adulthood and try to keep them drug and alcohol free, porn free, screen addiction free, teen pregnancy free, and vehicular homicide charges free. <laughs> Please come Lord Jesus. Be a woman of valor as you are sandwiched between helping your aging parents and your grown children succeed in their own marriages. Be a woman of valor as you care for an aging husband in a home while your hands, elbows, and knees don't work the way they used to. So I'm going to leave you with a video. 
I told you that Jewish culture sings what they call the Isha Hayel or Proverbs 31 over their women weekly or at special times or events or causes for celebration. And I want this to be sung over you as well. The video is actually the Israeli Defense Force rabbinical choir with their chief cantor. So they're going to sound really good. Um, but they're in a home. And they had just been invited to have a meal there. And so as a means of thanking their hostess, they break out into the Isha Hayel. The words are going to be in Hebrew, and so we're not going to understand them. But you can follow along in your Bible because they're singing Proverbs 31. They're singing verses 10 and 11 and 29 and 30, and they're just looping it back over and over. Um, so if you will, gentlemen, please. <laughs> 